Now, here we are. On today's show, we'll be talking about My Gender Is Not Your Weapon. DJ here, and this is The Sound of Black and Brown. So I'm going to be talking about something that is sensitive because in the black and brown community, we do not talk sufficiently about gender identity, even though black and brown trans people are the most, if not one of the most attacked sets of people in all aspects. In sex work, a lot of the black and brown trans sex workers show up dead, they get harassed, they get provoked. Likewise, in other facets of life, we've seen black and brown trans and those who identify as LGBTQ plus um, struggle to gain their momentum in society, yet we don't address the situation. You know, it has a live audience with no action. And on the flip side of this, we have so many trying to fight for these rights and advocate for these rights. You know, there are good people out there doing good work. So it will stand out when somebody enters with white toxicity and seemingly infests good work. And that happens. And it happens in interesting ways. So you might be wondering, what the fuck is she talking about? Why would a white LGBTQ plus person want to jeopardize anybody in that community? Well, let me tell you something in case you didn't know. Let me just draw a light on something. When a white person transitions, whether transition male to female, you know, don't come for me because I'm not going to claim to be a subject matter expert here on certain things. But whether or not they transition from male to female, female to male, they're still white. They still have that level of privilege, which protects them from various societal barriers which black and brown people face. So for instance, myself, I do not identify as, you know, I'll be what I guess is recognized as cisgender. And let me just pause for a cause right there. Please understand the whole building of all these different terms and pronouns and all these different words are mostly done by white people. So for the black and brown people, this thing is already in um, a bad start, right? Because if you're gonna, you know, do something where it's supposed to affect me, by all means, let me be part of the creation of the thing. But then we should be used to that because they also brought the Bible and told us, this is what it is, take it in. If you don't, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. Um, and there's a white Satan there too. So, you know, the white devil. But the point being is that a lot of what contributes to the struggle with gender conversation in black and brown community is the actual presentation and creation of said information. In other words, we hear about all these different studies and all these different things in America. Now, myself, I'm not from America, so I am blessed with the ability to tap into other resources or be, you know, have them shared with me. And interestingly, outside of America, the approach to gender identity, and I'm being sarcastic there, the approach to gender identity is different. So for instance, in a country like Jamaica, which is known for, you know, or at least it's perceived, heavily perceived as being highly homophobic due to, you know, the songs, the language, different cultural things, you know, still in all in that arena, 
you see black and brown people at the front line of the advocacy, no problem. They're there, they're helping create the platform, they're here advocating for you know, their peers and their loved ones, and they're doing it from the right place, not the white space. That's a big difference there. Now here in America, in the meantime, over the last few years, we've seen the LGBTQ plus community get more notice. That's absolutely correct. But at the same time, in all of that, you don't see too much highlighting or attention being drawn to the black and brown advocates, black, brown, indigenous, you know, all the other colors in the rainbow. You don't hear about their advocacy in this space. And they are not treated as, they are not commonly treated as persons whose experiences um, are enough to substantiate their words and their thoughts. In other words, when black and brown people want to say and represent, we have to come with a backup. We have to show we could do it. We are perceived as not being well-educated. We are perceived as not being well-vested. We're perceived as not caring. Um, you know, I guess we just shoot at each other and smoke weed and all these other horrifying things, you know, go to jail, become single parents, use the system, all the things that society has said we have done, we do that. So for those reasons is why we are presented apparently as not caring about our LGBTQ plus community. If anything, it's quite the opposite. In my time, I've seen black and brown families have to learn in different ways. They have to learn as they go. Because again, from the school to the streets to the law books, we have no sort of inkling in American society to present the need as to why we need to amplify the voices of the black and brown LGBTQ plus community. We don't see that, you know, because white privilege rules, even in the movement, white privilege rules. Where there's money, there's access. And unfortunately, in some parts of the movement, some of us will entertain it because we think we are, you know, helping the bigger cause when actually we're just digging the hole even deeper because, you know, representation at this point in the game is not enough. We need more than that. We need to really silence the white noise. We need to take back our narrative, including our gender identity narrative. I mean, let me tell you all something. You know, gender identity is something that existed probably before we even recognized it as a thing. You know, um, for all intents and purposes, we were fed all this bits and information about our history and our past, predominantly by white people, until some others decided to say, nope, we got to make sure we document things differently. We got to make sure these stories are told. And gender identity is no different. Now, um, I'm no stranger to being stigmatized as homophobic. I fit the bill. I, I check all the boxes, you know. I'm from West Indian background. I'm black. And, you know, I'm anti-white supremacy, you know, all those things. And you say to yourself, wait a minute, why would she be a problem if she's West Indian, an immigrant, if she's anti-social injustices, if she's a black woman proud in her melanin? Why is that a problem? Well, White toxicity exists in the movement, and it moves in very interesting ways. You know, um, recently, I've seen um, secondhand some evidence of such. I mean, it's all in our faces. The part that gets me most disturbed is when the white toxicity 
bleeds itself into the movement because then it starts instigating. Then it starts telling white lies. Then it starts, you know, the white tears. It's validating its white supremacy and getting away with it. It gets to yell at, defame, disenfranchise, instigate, do all these bad things and get away with it, right? And they will use their gender as their defense. What do I mean by that? Let me share with you an experience that was recently shared with me, right? And I hope that this person takes my invitation to come and share their experience in even more detail because we need to get up and stand up. And this incident uh, took place right here in New Haven, specifically New Hallville, New Haven, Connecticut. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting in so many ways. It's not even funny, right? So I'll give you the short version of a very long growth story. So this white veteran at the time, well, they weren't a veteran when they first moved to the Ville, but um, they moved to the Ville, their family basically, you know, their family's wealthy. Now, when you speak to them, they don't always tell you about their family, but you would also have to get them, you know, in that particular circumstance, um, you know, in a situation where they'll talk about themselves because they're very good at telling white lies, let me tell you. Now, but they never expect that we would also do our checks and balances. So now, um, and that's a, a token of privilege too, right? But anyway, I digress myself. So now this white family decides they can't deal with one of their family members anymore. And for reasons that we will only eventually find out, they decide to take a nice relaxing drive from New Jersey, a simple white town, which is majority white, um, less than a thousand black people, probably a sprinkling of Latinos and uh, Asians and whatnot. Uh, very, very white. I mean, Clorox bright white. Um, and they take a nice, luxurious drive all the way from New Jersey, all the way to New Haven, Connecticut, right to New Hallville. Hmm. Interesting. They will end up buying a foreclosed house, which they would plant said white family member in. At the time, they were not um, trans yet. They identified as a lesbian. So, so they say. I mean, this thing is all over the place. <laughs> That's why it's so toxic to the black and brown LGBTQ plus movement. I mean, it's literally all over the place. So they plant this person there, um, and this toxic white person now starts living in the Ville and decides to go off to um to the army they go to the army they are dishonorably discharged right and i mean to be dishonorably discharged you have to violate certain things in this circumstance they completely um went awol like you know the doc was like this person cannot hold a gun they should not be allowed near weapons you can't have them they're not mentally stable this is what the doctor is saying and it was verified by more than one they attempt to put this person on a um, regimen of some sort, right? So this person comes back to the Ville. Now, they're back in the Ville now, and they still have some toxic. They already had toxic traits, you know. It's a foreclosed house, yes, but they're not taking care of it. So all kind of shit is falling apart. You know, it's blighted. It's a blighted house. So the years go by, and this um, toxic person, you know, there's other incidents that occur in between that are highly questionable, and one has to wonder 
if neighbors have complained about the house, if the police have shown up several times, not just once, not just once, but several times when said individual has gotten high on what was not weed, put it like that, because they weren't smoking weed, it was a very distinct different smell that was not weed, right? Um, and so the police show up and they had to, you know, get physical with them because they kept trying to restrain and everything, you know, they're, they're tripping out, they're high. And, you know, unfortunately the police show up first because really in a situation like this, this is someone coming down from a high, a high on who knows what, because uh, my understanding is it was a carefully done drug cocktail. So who knows what the fuck they were smoking. So they trip out, the police show up, and this happens more than once. This person is in and out of the psych ward, in and out. They literally do like two days in, two days out, two days in, two days out. Sometimes not even that close together, sometimes more sparse out, you know. But the point is, is that they're repeatedly being admitted to the psych ward and repeatedly being discharged, right? So they're supposed to be on different medications. Who knows if they're taking them because they're also using various um, substances that um, range from anything from mushrooms to ecstasy, um, crack, dust, you name it, they're taking it, right? Um, and they validate this now by claiming to be an advocate, an activist. Now, I don't know about you. I have a lot of problems with everything that I just described. Now, for reasons that the neighbors can't understand. Now, mind you, let me give you an idea of what this looks like. Let me backtrack. The family of a dishonorably discharged, before they were discharged from serving um, in the military, you know, they already had mental health issues. Their family couldn't handle them. Their family didn't know what to do with them. This is a family that's in a New Jersey town that's very, very white, like 95% white. And so they take a drive all the way out to one of the poorest neighborhoods in New Haven, purchase a house, literally leaves them there. And then the chaos begins. It goes from everything from this person leaving trash everywhere, feces, all these different animals in crates and containers. I mean, it's like a fucking badly run petting zoo. The animals look depressed and anxious, like they're being held captive. There's trash everywhere, right? You add to that, they're getting arrested for, you know, coming out onto the street while they're high, like they're tripping off or whatever trip they decided to go on. And then they go into the neighborhood streets and they start yelling out stuff. And they keep getting arrested because this happens over and over. But yet the New Haven Police Department does not have some ability to arrest them and detain them. All right, fine. You might be saying, well, you know, it's not really NHPD, it's a mental health issue. Well, if that be the case, then why would a renowned psychiatric department not keep them detained? Like you should be an inpatient somewhere far, far away. You have enough money. Your family has the money, you could do it, but they're discharging you. Right now, this person in all these instances, they're very quick. So when the police show up, they, they immediately start to talk about, oh, I'm trans, I'm trans, 
they are just coming for me because I'm trans. I'm trans. This is what they're doing. This is all. This has all been caught on tape, by the way. This is all on tape, right? Them yelling out and screaming, resisting arrest, all of that. They're doing all of it. So say they do this on a Wednesday, they end up getting um, sent right to Yale or wherever else, wherever else they take them, who knows, because this is New Haven, you never know. Um, but they're also released really, really quickly back into community, right? So we have a couple of things happening here. We have a dishonorable discharge, pardon me, um, where, you know, the military is saying, look, you could contest this, but we have psych evaluation that shows that this individual is not proven to be fit to use a weapon and we rather not, you know, proceed. No problem. Now, they still get veteran benefits. So that tells you if there was any foul play in there, say this was a situation of another scenario, uh, and I, I don't want to blaspheme it. Right, I really don't because this is so disgusting. Like this person literally lies their way out of everything and anything they do. So when they entered the military, they were already, I mean, the family knew it, they knew it. They were not fit to serve at all. They shouldn't even be serving soft serve ice cream, to be quite frank. But they were allowed in. And then shortly after, you know, everybody on the camp noticed the behavior. So they had to do something. Right, we hear about the PTSD, we hear about all these different things, right? And this was a case where the parties involved said, Look, we're gonna reach out to the family and whoever else we need to, we're gonna verify our information, we're gonna take action based on that. So based on that, that individual was discharged. They come back to New Hallville, their behavior does not change. They're seemingly on some sort of mental health plan, but it's not going anywhere because they're not showing up to their appointments. They're not showing up. Nobody is getting involved. Nobody's stepping in. Nobody's saying, wait a minute, we have a veteran who is not only a danger to themselves, but has proven to be a danger not to themselves only, but to others. They're not on their medication. They're not showing up for their check-ins. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. Why isn't there, I mean... I mean, Ray Charles could see what's going on here. The city is quite aware of said situation. The city of New Haven has it on their record that this individual has been confronted by New Haven police several times. You have the neighbors reaching out several times. You have even members of staff, people who work for the city, who live on the street. So all the person, the represent, the elected representative of the city is quite aware that this individual and the house, not just the individual, but the house itself, because the house itself was partially condemned. I didn't even know you could partially condemn a fucking house here. I thought if you condemn one piece, you had to do the whole damn thing. This person has trash, all kind of hoarding, all kind of animals and crates, poor animals looking like what you will see on one of those PETA ads or or anything raising money for animals. I mean, it's real sad, right? Then when they get admitted to the psych hospital, they leave and make friends with people they meet there. And then they bring them into their house to live there. So now, now they have animals, trash they're hoarding, and illegally rooming 
where is the city of New Haven and everybody else affiliated when all of this is happening? Why is this okay? And then this person uses their gender identity as a shield because, as I mentioned, right, when confronted, the first thing they pull out is, I'm trans. Again, people, let me tell you something. Being a white trans person is a very different experience from being a non-white trans person. A white trans person has still the privilege. They are white. They can be white all day, every day, twice on Sunday. Nobody's going to give a fuck, right? Because they're not going to touch them, right? And the thing is, because most of the LGBTQ plus movement was built by mostly white people, now you have the non-whites looking at this like, okay, I identify, but I don't know if I could be part of this. I don't know if they'll even let me be part of this. I don't know. I don't know. So they don't get involved because they don't know if they'll be accepted. So they do their own thing, right? That's that's typical black and brown people, man. When you don't want to accept me, no problem, you know, no problem, homie. We'll just go do our own thing. But then when they start to congregate on their own now, they're still facing barriers because for whatever reason, that is only validated through white supremacy and racism, even in their own circle, even in their own cause, they have to have that white validation. Even in their own struggle, their gender is being used as a weapon against them. This individual who I just described has sat in on many, many meetings with LGBTQ plus people. And in all those settings, if not most, they have definitely um, advocated for themselves, very narcissistic, very self, you know, self-entitled, you know, however you want to word that, you know, but they're not thinking about you. They don't care about your relative or the person that you know, you know, your classmate or, you know, your coworker, your neighbor who is black or brown and identify as trans and have to face these struggles. They don't care about the black and brown trans people who should have murdered and dead, rest in peace, Marsha Johnson, okay? They don't care about Sylvia Rivera. They don't care about that, right? Because you know why? As our friend Audre Lorde said, you know, um, segregation is as American as apple pie. And it's eaten out here, especially in the Northeast. I told you all this before. In the Northeast, we like normalized racism. We love it. We, we live off of the white lies and the white tears. And that's why what I just described is allowed to happen. And you see, the damage isn't done there. Because you see, it's hard enough to be, um, you know, LGBTQ plus and have to validate your sexual identity. It's worse when white toxicity enters the mix and diminishes your struggle now. So here you are advocating for yourself both for your gender identity and for your race. And here comes a white person saying, well, my gender and me and what I'm going through matters more than you. So I must lead and I could do all the toxic things I want and nobody's going to say anything, not even the ones who should say it the most, which would be my white peers. Now, for the white people tuning in, 
do you really think it's fair that black and brown people should have to address your toxicity? My answer is no. It's not fair. It's not fair. Because the card is being played in a way where we're damned if we do, we're damned if we, we don't. I can tell you firsthand, when I confronted the aforementioned toxic white disabled veteran, right, um, I was incensed by their behavior because some of this I witnessed firsthand. And um, I also got to bear witness as they took their good sweet time and began to disenfranchise my character because again, it's easy to do it. I have a West Indian background. I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, from a part of the world that's not recognized or has been recognized as being homophobic. Unfortunately, that's a stigma that got attached to us for a long time. Um, but why not? You know, why wouldn't you want to um, oppress people more than they are already? You know, I'm also not white. So, you know, there goes my privilege card more and more. Um, I've also been recognized to be an angry black woman. So, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, I keep losing points here, you know. Um, so for these reasons, they are successful in planting their seeds that they came to harvest, you know. So it's not hard. It's not hard, you know, because what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to be complacent. And the reason why they feel that way is because look at what I just said. This toxic white asshole was able to not only move in already actively gentrified uh, neighborhood, but they could have blight in their backyard as much as they want. They could put as much animals back there as much as they want. They could do what they want when they want, and it's okay. It's okay. And then when they're black and brown neighbors, most of whom are black and West Indian, when they call, the first thing, the first line of defense for this individual is, well, I'm trans and you know, they don't like me. Now, nobody questions and validates what they say. They say, they say it as a white person. Oh my God, it has to be true, right? Wrong, 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 wrong. In my point of view, Ray Charles could see what the fuck is happening here, right? The real question is now, why wouldn't the city and the affiliated groups who have already encountered that individual, why aren't you putting a stop to this? How come in New Hallville, <clears throat> you'll have no problem going after the black and brown homeowners who were behind on their mortgage, who, you know, you probably could have cut a little more grass or something. They, they weren't hoarding. They weren't taking care of their properties 100% maybe, they, but they weren't creating a blight. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe the grass grew up a little bit. Nobody bothered by it. They don't have a bunch of trash in their backyard. They just don't have anybody to help them. And with COVID, they just said, well, I ain't going nowhere. So, you know, why would I go outside even? Who knows? But with a little help from others, they probably will be able to get back on their feet and take care of the house. Or maybe the working person or the person who just lost their job or their business who fell behind on their mortgage, right? They fall behind on their mortgage a little bit, but they have to now make, you know, water into wine and make sure they find money that they didn't have in the first place to keep their house. But this person not only gets to keep their house, it has, half of it has already been condemned and they're just running around 
using their gender identity as a shield and it's being allowed. Now, again, let's backtrack. The black and brown LGBTQ plus community already had a lot of problems and barriers it had to face, right? We have so many who are not willing to come forward with their true selves because they know the consequences. They might get cast out of the church. They might lose some friends. They might lose their job. They might lose the respect they once had. They won't fit in no more. They'll stick out. They'll stick out. Can't go to the same club no more. You was just showing up. They would have do rag and baggy jeans. People not going to want to see you with a dress on. These are all the things. Some, not all, sorry. Some of the things running through their minds. Black and brown trans people in particular not only are the ones who are most harassed and killed, you know, but they also rank high when it comes to suicide rates. Because you see, they have to battle with trying to be comfortable in their gender identity while dealing with the barriers already in front of them due to their cultural and racial identity. Okay? And then it doesn't help that in the space that they're in, it's also very whitewashed, right? Thank God for RuPaul, right? Because without people like RuPaul and Marsha P. Johnson, what would we really, really have representation-wise? I mean, I know there's names, you know, I'm missing. because It's a very big community, but it doesn't get the respect it deserves because it's not allowed to. Because even in that space, White toxicity is allowed to survive, and that is so wrong. Just because you identify as LGBTQ+, does not give you the right to also be racist in that space. You want to do that, go elsewhere. Listen, we've seen trans people come out as Trump supporters, not just trans, but other members of the LGBTQ plus community, okay? You see them mostly lead in this movement, you don't see the non-whites as much in the movement. You don't see them getting the, you know, recognition or the support politically, socially, even in the movement. Tell me about the last time you've seen an LGBTQ plus congressperson, state rep, senator, and they could function happily in Connecticut. I'm just talking about Connecticut now. Educate me. How many of those have you seen? And why is that? Why isn't anybody else mad about that? See, we need to really make America stop being racist again. We have to do it. Because you see, this whole time we've been operating with this mindset that Oh, well, we had the 60s and we had the Panthers and we had the liberation of the slaves. Like, whatever else could be wrong. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? And then you traumatize us enough so we're at war with each other. Part of the reason why uh, so many of our black and brown people, um, you know, resist accepting their LGBTQ plus community is because we have been systematically programmed to refuse certain ideologies. You know, you'll see you'll see people using um, 
you know, religion as a reason why not to condone sexual choices and gender identity, right? You see that real quick. You'll see a lot of black and brown people say, no, the church tells us not to do this, so we can't do it, right? But didn't the church tell you not to judge people? Didn't that same church build itself a bunch upon a bunch of pages created by, by a white man. So nobody else seen where the problem is here. My point is this, my friends. You know, when you have a toxic white trans person blighting the movement, the people who pay the most will be the black and brown people. The aforementioned person that I'm describing, um, the person who has this blighted house, not only harasses and torments their neighbors, but now... Uh, they've gotten comfortable in the movement, the local movement enough that they use that as a shield for their toxicity. Do you see the range of this shit? Do you see that? So what happens is in the movement, if you call out their toxicity, just like being their neighbor, right? They're very, very quick to call you homophobic, very quick, because they know they could play that card. They've done it before, and they'll do it again and again and again, everywhere they could get away with it. Right, like I said, this person has been living in that area and in that house for years. Right, NHPD, the New Haven Police Department, the City of New Haven, um, Livable City Initiative. They're quite aware of who said individual is and have done nothing. It's to the point that that person has half their house. I didn't even know you could condemn only part of a house. I find that very interesting. But look at how many things. They're allowed to do, and our people are being killed for, for whatever pleasure or reason that is validated after the fact, right? So while all of this is going on, we're still getting tormented. And add to that, you know, our LGBTQ plus community is not only politely ignored. It's not even polite anymore. It's just ignored. It's ignored, right? And, you know, they're continually stigmatized and removed from the movement. Aren't you tired of not seeing them represented well? Aren't you tired of hearing about the number of trans, black and brown trans people showing up dead or committing suicide or just, you know, not ever being the same? They end up going on drugs and never coming back to us? You don't think that there's a reason for that? Nobody ever really found out what really happened to Marsha P. Johnson. And despite the circumstances of her death, very, very, very questionable. Very, very, very questionable. Nobody cares enough to say we got to put an end to this. We have to put an end to this. And let me tell you something else. When there's an attack and an exploitation of the black and brown LGBTQ plus community, it doesn't just affect those who identify as. It also affects all the people around them who may not. White trans individual was able to move into a poor New Haven neighborhood, use their gender as a shield. They have tormented their neighbors to the point some of them have even moved away. And this is a part of New Haven that has um, and is being actively gentrified, right? Let's not to mention other neighbors on the block, the same street. We didn't even go down. The, let, let me take that back. We didn't even go down the whole street yet. Right on the same street, this person, this toxic white trans person, you know, loves to throw firecrackers in the street so the police show up. And, of course, the police not bothering them. 
they're going to bother everybody else. You know, they've been known to call the police on their West Indian and black neighbors, right? So they do what they want when they feel like it. Like I said, I, it, it was shared with me that in their house, they have animals in crates, bags of trash, stuff in the fridge that probably hasn't been out in years. The backyard, there's like random trash everywhere. They have a chicken coop, so there's mice all over the place in the neighborhood in a predominantly black and West Indian neighborhood. The city knows about it. So there's a police. So there are other people involved. They also know about this person's drug use and their repeated visits, shall we say, to the psych ward. And nothing is being done about it. But the neighbors and the people around them, they're the ones who are suffering. So there's that part about it. There's also the part where, you know, they use their gender identity to validate all of this. So while all of this is happening, they're slowly ruining the credibility of different movements at the same time, because the one that gets hit the hardest will be the LGBTQ plus one, because you're running around doing all this white toxic behavior, and then you turn around and say, well, I'm white trans, so, you know, I'm just being myself, you know, I'm just being an individual. That's not how that works. That's not how that should, that's, how, that's not how that should work, and it should not be us as black and brown people calling it out. But see, that's why this person and other white toxic people are able to infiltrate movements and do what they do. Because you see, the people who should really draw a border and call out the bullshit, they don't. They stand there and they buy popcorn and they get entertained. Yes. Yes, they do. Because if they weren't, they would do something about it and they would pay attention and not fall into the white lies. Right? White lies is the reason why we we are yet to know why Marsha P. Johnson died. White lies is the reason why celebrities like RuPaul had to fight for so long to get their stance in entertainment despite working harder huh, than their white peers. White lies. Aren't you tired of it? And 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 they get to even use the movement that we are supposed to be represented in. This individual has shown up to protests and rallies, my friends, out here in New Haven. They are very active in the New Haven circuit right now, and it's very dangerous in my opinion, because seeing their record, which I have, um, and seeing certain bits of information about them, which I was shared, they were shared with me, you know, it's sad because this person, in one way it's sad, but in another way it's not, because they know they're supposed to be in certain medication. And their family knows this too. Hence the reason why their family planted them as far away from them as they could humanly do it, right? Because they didn't want to deal with them either. So they put them over here and they don't give a fine fuck if they're a neighborhood blight. They don't care about the young black and brown people who are just now figuring out their gender identity and being comfortable with that. They don't give a fuck about the um, black and brown LGBTQ plus people who show up dead, who get harassed, you know, who are in pain, but nobody wants to talk about that. They don't care about that. They don't deal with none of that. This person gets to get away with it. Why? Because they're white. Just because you said your gender identity does not give you the right to be positively racist. What the fuck? You want to be racist and then use your gender identity as a shield? That is wrong. And it's happening right now. And it's a big problem that's going unsaid. 
right? And it's not just happening here in New Haven. Again, validate it. Do your research. Look up, um, you know, trans or LGBTQ+. Google it. Google what you, and see what you find when you Google um, trans or LGBTQ+, or gay Trump supporters. And read. Read the stories. See what you find out. Does that legitimize that type of behavior? I mean, who's the bigger epitome of heat in our time, in the time we're in right now? Donald Trump was able to sh make hate okay. He did it. All the hate you have. He even got people from the groups he hates to help build the hate. And why did we allow that? Because it's easy to do that. Like I said, this individual was able to stigmatize me for speaking out on their bad behavior because I fit the bill of what they claim to be against. No, they're exploiting the movement. And they only get away with it when you let them. We got to get up and stand up for our black and brown trans people, my friends. I mean, I didn't even talk or even get started with what happens when our black and brown trans children go to school, much less college. Yes, they get raped on campus, harassed. They get left out of things. They get treated like they don't belong. It's a lot of things that happen to them. It doesn't stop. That's the difference between a white person sharing their gender identity versus someone who's not white. When a white person shares their gender identity, it becomes a rite of passage. When a black or brown person does it, it built a barrier. You tell me what's wrong with that picture. Why are we allowing that to happen? And when we see the white toxicity, why are we use, letting them use their gender identity as a shield if we say we care about gender identity and black and brown people? Because clearly some of us cannot multitask and do both, right? Because if we could do that, we wouldn't have this problem. My friends, we have to see that people like this, toxic white people, are not limited to one environment. And I think that's the biggest fallacy of all. I think somehow systemically we allow ourselves to believe, no, no, white toxicity only happens over there, there, and there. No, it doesn't. It happens in many, many places. And out here in the Northeast in particular, it's very normalized. It's okay to be a Karen out here. It's okay. You could be a Karen. You could use your title to get your way. You know, you could do these things, you could do it, and you would have the validation while we suffer in the meantime. A white person could work 15 jobs in two years and smile. They just have to smile most times, not all times. They just have to show up and look, look the white way, and they'll get the job. My black ass would show up, and I would have had probably two different jobs over the last two years. Mind you, during a health pandemic where people were shutting business down and everything else. But now I have to validate and prove why I'm such a good candidate. It's bullshit. It's the same way as when a white person decides, well, I'll just enter the movement for black and brown lives and I'll act like a complete white asshole. But when I get called out, I'm just going to say that I'm trans and it's or queer or lesbian or gay and it's okay. No, it's not. And you cannot expect the black and brown people to call that out, right? That, I mean, what the fuck? You know, I mean, so we're supposed to get tormented and then deal with that and deal with the torment after that? Don't you know when we call out this bullshit, we have to validate it then too? You should know that. You should know that. And you should know that, you know, privilege knows no bounds. So if a black or brown person is telling you 
that a white person is being toxic. Why should they have to validate that? It's just like what the police do when they pull us over, license and registration, please. It's the same bullshit. Could it be that you're allowing your judgment to be skewed because um, the toxic individual is carefully using their gender identity to get away with their bullshit? Right? See, this puts a stain on many, many things, and it doesn't help if we add to that list. So we have a toxic white trans person who's using their gender identity. They're also a veteran, and they lean on that when they need to as well. This is just one example. This is not an example. I'm just using one that I can relate to. But I'm trying to get you to think about how white toxicity can easily slide into the movement, get comfortable, and do damage. And if you doubt me, why would that happen? Because guess what? They did the same thing to the Panthers. They did the same thing to MLK. They did the same thing to Malcolm X. When black and brown people organize, it scares the hell out of the government. They can't handle that. So the aforementioned person sounds real toxic and terrible. Yes, they do, because they are. But they are active in the movement, in social justice, in New Haven. And they get away with all their toxicity by using their gender identity. And they're not the only ones to do that, let me tell you. Let me tell you, toxic white people show up in different spaces. They will show up and they will do all the toxic shit they want. And the minute some of these, the minute you call them out, they say, well, I'm a lesbian, you know, I'm just trying to share my, my part, you know. I've done all this advocacy for my fellow white lesbian people. And it's just racism in a different way, man. Don't you see that? Look at it. Again, black and brown trans people in particular are the most suicidal. They're suicidal. It doesn't get reported or recognized. They have the most instances of sexual assaults, harassment. You know, they're up there. They're right. I mean, from state to state, it'll vary by a little bit. But they're up there, right next to their black and brown brothers and sisters. And nobody talks about it, right? At the end of the day, a white person come to terms with their gender identity and decide they no longer want to live as a cisgender female. They no want to be recognized as a lesbian, change their pronouns, right? They did that part. They started using their pronouns. Then they decide, okay, you know, I don't know. They realize, I should say, that maybe I'm not really a lesbian. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that I have all these different feelings. And now they start to notice, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm bisexual. But my point is, as they evolve in their sexual identity, they're still white. It doesn't matter if they're a lesbian. It doesn't matter if they're bisexual, transsexual, you know, they're still white. They're still white like snow, still like Clorox. So even if they do a gender change, they still have that privilege associated with their skin. That by itself should be enough for you to recognize and accept. It is not just possible, but it is happening that unfortunately there is white toxicity in the LGBTQ plus community. And that will only add to the pre-existent stigmatization of said community. So when you already have a group of black and brown people who have mixed views due to how they were raised, brought up in the church, or just what they think, whatever it may be, and here comes this toxic white person who's using their gender identity to validate their toxicity. What do you think is going to happen, Newton's law, for every action 
is the opposite and equal reaction. You're coming to me with this bullshit. Now I'm going to ignore you even more. I'll be less supportive to my black and brown people who identify as LGBTQ+. So you see what just happened there? Different movements get affected. This is not something to be allowed. This is why white silence is dangerous. We have to make racism wrong again. Now people using it in, in different aspects of social justice. So it's just reinventing itself and doing exactly what the oppressors want. Capitalism is successful with the lack of empathy. All right? So when you decide to turn your back and turn around and say, no, 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 that's not a big deal. No, 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 no. You just help them do what they came there to do. Let me say it again. Just because a white person, as they get comfortable with their gender identity, you know, we're not going to scrutinize you again comfortable. So as you get comfortable with your gender identity, you're starting to realize, I thought I was identifying as, but I'm not, you know, I'm starting to wonder, wait a minute. No, no, now I know I'm not. And now I want to make changes to my body. And they're doing all their changes. The one thing they cannot change is the color of their fucking skin. They're still white. That means they still get that privilege. That means they still get that indirect respect, that equity and equality that we have to fight for. They get it. A gun has more rights than me. So, of course, when someone like me calls out the behavior, I know already I'm going to get met with the homophobia, my friend. I know that already. And it's so interesting because if people dared to ask, they would find out that actually I didn't have to come to America to learn about gender identity. I actually learned that way back in my little, little island, right? Because I have friends who, you know, they went through real hard shit when they started understanding their gender, okay? I had one friend who killed herself. Before she could even come out, she committed suicide. She couldn't handle what would happen if she did because when she tried to ask around, you know, in her family to kind of figure out, like, well, would I get support? Would, would you love me still? And when she got the answer, she realized this is never going to work. But that's what she told herself because there was no support there. I know someone else who was gang raped. Yes, gang raped. For coming out with their gender identity. Yes, gang raped, right? This all happened before I came to America. So this is not conversation or verbatim coming from a West Indian who came to America, as they might, some might say, and she took up the American ideals. No, 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 brothers and sisters. This is someone who I've lost a really good friend, people she cares about because of hate and because of what that hate could instill unsaid individuals and what they did to themselves to protect themselves. I couldn't help them because we don't have these types of conversations. You can't have back then when this happened. You're crazy. People going to end up dead. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about them. You know, in some countries, they stone you down when you come out talking about you're not going to marry the opposite sex. Yes, it happens. So when you see a white person violating, blatantly using their privilege to feed their agenda, using money 
using white lies, sex, drugs, black meal, and you doing this in the movement? Why would I ever think that you care about black and brown LGBTQ plus people? I, I, I mean, to me, that's not rocket science. It sounds to me like someone who came with a mission and they're very successful at it. But they're not the only one. I'm using one example because this is one that I, one of actually a few that I've identified. And I'm willing to step forward and, and handle that and deal with it. Because why? Because I know that if we don't, the movement will lose. Because that's what they came to do. That's what they came to destroy. Whether it be, you know, um, a reproductive justice movement, whether it be, you know, immigrant rights movement, police brutality movement. You know, Malcolm X told us, you got to be wary of the person, the non-white person, I should say, more specifically, who leans on white people too much to build their movement. He wasn't wrong. He was not wrong. He wasn't wrong because it's true. Why would you lean on white people so much? To build your movement. Why would you do that? You should know that if the movement is supposed to be about us, nothing about us without us. You should also know when you lean on them too much, they'll do just what Columbus did. Power and control. That's what they want. And just because someone identifies with a particular gender identity identity does not make them less racist. Just because you identify with a particular gender identity it does not make you less racist. It only means that you're so damn disgusting now. You're even going to fuck up your fellow LGBTQ plus family that you just infiltrated. Because that's what it sounds like to me. When you're being racist and you use your gender identity to be racist, I mean, potatoes, potatoes. <laughs> I, I, to me, it's not rocket science. Racism should not be condoned. I don't give a fuck what gender you are, what age you are. If you're going to call out the government and lawmakers and those in power, we should make sure that we're not leaning too hard on the ones who are part of the problem, if not the main cause of it. I shared the story earlier of one white individual who was, is successful and was, has been, you know, they're in the community still, infiltrating the community and the groups and the social justice around it, all the while blatantly exuding toxic whiteness. And nobody is challenging them because the minute you try, they pull out their gender card. Now, if you're okay with that, then you're also okay with black and brown and indigenous and all the non-white LGBTQ plus people who suffer on a regular basis due to white supremacy. You must be okay with that. You must be because there's no way that you're willing to accept the racism because of a gender, then there might be some things you might wanna think about yourself. That's all I have for now. This is a conversation I'll definitely continue because it's a topic that needs to, it needs to be addressed, you know, representation is not enough. We have to silence the white noise. I appreciate those who support this podcast and support